0: Tonight is Wednesday, June 16th, our topic tonight is going to be the altar, actually it's, our topic tonight is going to be, uh, we'll call it the altar, but that's, you'll see. While we were in in worship, I, I had a couple thoughts that are rabbits that I think we are to chase a little bit before we get into the message, in fact it probably just blends right into the message. When we began to worship, uh, and I started to reflect on the events of the last few days, I have been approached uh, by more than one person so don't anybody think I'm singling you out, more than one person about not seeing the fruit of your efforts, being frustrated, you know? feels like sometimes in Christianity, we're working, and you wonder if you're getting anywhere. I, and when I say approached by more than one person, there's only a handful in here. You know, I also felt a lot like that lately. So that means that the whole body basically is is feeling those things. I want to encourage you in these couple regards about faith. And you know, I don't know what to say about this other than I don't. I'm not going to go off and teach about it. I just want you to listen and try to absorb it and get it. When that woman that had the issue of blood and I mentioned some of this in worship she had great risk when she even left her house to go out to do something because she believed the fact that she was bleeding meant that she was unclean you can read about that in Leviticus after a woman had a baby and she was bleeding she was unclean her monthly period she was unclean issues of blood caused you to be unclean that meant that if people knew that she had this problem And she was out of the house, and in a crowd that was so tight that the disciples talked about being crushed up against Jesus. She was making other people unclean by their touch. In other words, she couldn't expect to have anybody's approval for what she was doing. And yet, her faith, the fact that she believed Jesus was who he said he was, that by touching the hem of his garment, the tzitzit that represented his authority, she would be healed. She was willing to risk it all. I began to think of some other guys that carried uh, a paralytic to a house, and they couldn't get in the house. Then they went up on the roof and they dug a hole in the roof and lowered the guy down to get to Jesus. You know, we're talking about guys that didn't save anything for the trip home. You know, there's a line in a movie that that I liked. It's this guy who was not as athletic as his older brother wasn't supposed to be as genetically fit as his older brother and they'd have this contest they would swim out into the ocean and see who turned back first actually it was a big bay and the more athletic one always lost and towards the end of the movie he says you know how is it that you beat me you know you're not as strong as I am You're not as fast. he said I never saved anything for the trip home ever faith is a lot like that it's when you're willing to dig a hole in the roof realizing that if it doesn't work you look like an idiot It's when you're willing to go out into public knowing that if people find out what your condition is, you're going to be a laughing stock and maybe even punished. And yet, you do it because you reasoned in your heart that God is faithful. There's a lot to be said for that because basically when you want to do anything for Jesus, He's going to make you do it without the approval of men. And we all say we don't need the approval of men. All of us do. We say, oh, I don't care what anybody thinks. And it's a lie. We don't care what anybody thinks as long as they all agree with us. You know, we don't care what anybody thinks as long as nobody's expressing their disapproval. But all of us really do care. And Jesus will put you in positions where you are required to care more about what he thinks than your closest friend, than your mentors, than your students, than your peer, whoever it is and I I shared with a brother well it was Brad Lively recently about some instances where God caused him to be in a position where other Christians disagreed and one of them that he loved so dearly and in the end it looked like the other Christian was right and it's humbling and yet he knew that God had him take that stand for a reason and you know the first thing he wanted to do was go explain to the other brother why he did it and why it was right it doesn't matter at some point, you just have to stand on the fact that you did what Jesus told you to do and let everybody else work out their own issues. We spend so much time worried about and thinking about whether or not we'll be accepted. Jesus has assured me personally that we won't be, that I won't be. Once you get past that, once you get free from needing somebody's acceptance because you assume that you will not get it, you work for the one acceptance that matters and that's Jesus at the end of the day you want to hear a well done my good and faithful servant it doesn't matter whether the masses prophesy to you that you're doing the right thing it doesn't matter whether those that are supposed to be alongside you in the Lord toe the line with you and tell you man you're doing God's will all the time what if they all turn their backs that's okay because that's what God calls and that really leads us into our message when you build an altar in Exodus You are not allowed, that'll be in Exodus 20. You're really not allowed to take stones and hammer them all into the same shape. When we build something today, uniformity is key. In fact, everything about our lives is about following the status quo. Teenagers say, oh, I cut my hair like this to be different. And then you go to the 7th grade class and they've all cut their hair just like that to be different. They wear... uh, t-shirts and listen to music all to be unique and express their unique identity as long as it's just like everybody else's unique identity there's something about people that crave the acceptance of others and we do it in all kind of ways we make sure that our dress have you ever worn something that you really liked man you looked in the mirror and you thought hey that's kind of cool you go out and somebody goes what are you wearing and you never wore it again come on am i the only one that's ever done that We all do. There is this peer pressure that's gotten a bad rap, and not all peer pressure is bad. There are some things that when you don't receive the approval of your peers should cause you to think twice. Do I have God's favor in this or not? Because they have the mind of Christ as well. But when you know that you've heard from God, and you cannot get past the fact that others have not heard the same message and don't agree with you, then you're paralyzed in the kingdom. What if Jeremiah had been like that? How about our friend Paul? Every friend he had in Acts 19 and 20 tried to talk him out of doing the one thing Jesus had appeared to him three times and told him he was going to do. Had they heard the stories? Sure. They had never been spoken to by Jesus in the way that Paul had. You know who was responsible for doing what God called Paul to do? Paul. And so what if Agabus and Luke and Silas... And any of the other men that were around did not want Paul to do it. It didn't matter. So, Well, Eric, you know, that runs a fine line. That could be, you know, that could be rebellion. You can never be in rebellion against God by following God. You will often be in rebellion to men's authority when you follow God. I mean, Jesus was a revolutionary. The apostles in Acts 4 said, Judge for yourself whether it's right that I should obey you, my religious leader, the head of my nation... Or should I obey God? That's how they answered those charges. And we read it and say, yeah, well, that's right. That's because they were talking to those Pharisees. The Pharisees, whoever's on the other side of the coin from you, it's, you know, those Pharisees were not horrible people. They were people who were trying to serve God. Most of them, not all of them. It was hard for those men of God to do that. It would have been much easier for them to conform, to compromise, to do what everybody accepted. But God will never leave you there. Are you all in Exodus 20? In Exodus 20, verse 25. When I tell you all to turn, I guess I should have turned, huh? Exodus 20, verse 25. I'm sorry, 24. Make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep, your goats, and your cattle. Wherever I cause my name to be honored, I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stones for me, do not build it with dress stones, for you will defile it if you use a tool on it. And do not go up to my altar on steps, lest your nakedness be exposed on it. I've been telling y'all since I came back from Israel that the law is good. It's righteous. It points out God's righteous requirements. If the law is good, and it also stands opposed to people in that it points out their trespasses, what on earth can we use it for? You can learn from the principles that are in it, the righteous principles God intended to convey. We have an innate desire to want to be uniform, to want to be accepted. If you build a building... All of the bricks are in a uniform pattern. They're all the same size, the same shape, the same density. When God said, if you're going to build something for me, I want you to either build it out of earth, dirt, or I want you to build it out of stones. And when you build it out of stones, they can't be dressed. What does it mean to dress a stone? It means to make them all the same shape, all the same size, all the same thickness, and assemble the walls that way. He said, I won't take that. Don't do it. That's because God intended for every stone to be unique. He intended for some stones not to fit together with other stones. For it to take thought in how it was arranged. And more than anything else, you know what an uncut stone does? And this, this ought to encourage you. Especially us. You know... Have you noticed we're not cut from the same cloth as everybody else? Not even everybody else in the churches that we've come from. Somehow we don't seem to be content with the things they are. And it's not because they're wrong. It's just because we're different. And then in us, how much diversity is there? Are Matthew and I's personalities different? It's night and day. Do they compliment each other? Thank God they do. Mandy and Jennifer, are their personalities different? Night and day. God wants uncut stones because each stone honors its Creator. See, if all the stones were dressed, who does that honor? It honors whoever dressed them, whoever shaped them, whoever made them the way they were. But when each one is unique, when each one is specially made by God, it honors the Creator, and it speaks of His diversity. God does not want everybody on the earth to be like Larry Stockstill. God does not want everybody on the earth, as fabulous as he is, to be like Joel Osteen. God did not call you to be Kenneth Hagin. God did not call you to be Buzz Tremay. God did not call you to be any of the men that you've heard about, that you love and you respect. David Hogan. Any of them. Joyce Meyer. He called you to be Jesse Duplantis. He called you to be you. You know, we have this idea that because we're being changed, I mean, that was my salvation prayer, Lord, change me, that everything about you has to change. When the truth is, God chose you because there was something He put in you that He likes. David does things differently than Eric does. And God likes that because He will give David different task than He will give Eric. And you know what? David's life will honor God as it's unique and different and distinct from Eric's it's a different kind of honor it's different in every way and you know what he'll tell you to do things that seem impossible for you and he's more than willing for you to have mud on your face for you to be humiliated for you to look like a failure for the whole world so that he will be the success in the end for 2,000 years, He let His people suffer shame and disgrace. And we, the church, cross our arms and go, well, that's because they killed the Christ. You know what it is? Malachi said that the land would be stricken with a curse if they didn't receive the one that uh, Elijah was was offering to them. That, that's true. But the reason God allowed such a long period of time to go between the promises and the fulfillment that's been occurring from 1890 forward is because it shows how big He is. We read it in the Aliyah Scriptures last week, or Sunday rather. You know, it says, when you do this and I bring you back, go ask the other nations. Which other nations has this been foretold long ago and then it come to pass? God builds a bigger testimony by you looking like a failure. But if you're not like the woman with the issue of blood, if you're not like the men who toted the paralytic up to the root, if you're not willing to risk it all for Him, there is no glory. There is no honor for God. You know, when He tells you to start a church and you look out there and there's a handful of people and it doesn't grow every... Well, the first thought is, well, this you have to start somewhere. It'll grow every week. It'll grow every month. Well, what if it doesn't? Does that mean He didn't tell you to do it? What if everybody said there's no way it'll work? You have no evangelistic ability. The people that are with you are not capable. What if they say those things? Does that mean that God didn't tell you to do it? Well, God obviously is not in that. I don't see the blessing. Does that mean God wasn't with Israel because you didn't see them blessed for 2,000 years? His covenant still stood. His covenant still stands. If He made you a promise, He fulfills it. And He's more than willing for you to look like a fool while it happens. He's more than willing to allow people to heap insults on you, to shun you, to spurn you, so that when it happens, they show that they were utterly wrong, and it was not you, but it was God who was utterly faithful. He builds altars out of uncut stones because it honors Him. When you see something's uniform, when you see stones all built one right on top of each other, and it's it's strong, Where does the strength come from when you look at the base of the temple of the sphinx we've all seen it on national geographic and discovery channel and these two hundred thousand ton stones are there and they're shaped and they're stacked on one another where is the strength of that structure it's in the stones it's in the shape and the form and the density of the stones if those stones were irregularly shaped if it was made of thousands of stones and not just a few that were cookie-cutter blocks, where would the sh- the strength of the structure be? It would be in whatever bound those stones together, in the adhesive. God's not interested in the stones showing strength. He's interested in the adhesive, Him. He's what holds everything together, being your strength. See, it's not that Matthew and I are just better suited for ministry than some. It's not that his gifting next to my gifting makes uh, the perfect match for it. In fact, there are a lot of ways that you can look and say, golly, Matthew's probably handicapped by Eric. You know, there are things that you could look at and say, you know, that, that probably doesn't work right. But the strength of the calling, the strength of the relationship, is in what binds you together. It's in Jesus. And that's what brings honor to God's altar. He didn't have them build an altar with perfectly dressed stones that had thin layers of mortar between them, each brick on brick, and when you stand on it, it doesn't collapse because of the strength of the stones. He had them build altars that were built with stones that honored Him, each different from the other, not one, two alike. He had them build it in a way that there had to be some kind of adhesive that held it together that made it strong because the stones themselves were not what made it strong. I'm describing the church. I'm describing us. We are that altar. And yet what we seek all of the time is to be more like whoever's next to us or whoever we revere or whoever we see as successful. If Zig Ziglar writes a book, then oh my God, let's go find out how he did it because he looks successful. You know, the world cries after the Donald Trump's looks and says, I want to be a stone like them. God made you unique. What makes stones valuable? Precious stones. What makes them Precious. What makes them valuable? They're rare. There's no two alike. In fact, if you see a bunch that are alike, it devalues it. Think of yourself the same way. You're uniquely made by God for a reason. And if there were a bunch of people just like you, it would devalue you. I'm not trying to make people that are like Eric. There are things you can learn from me. There are things I can learn from you. We should all glean from one another. We have rough edges that prevent us from being uh, joined with an adhesive to anybody, and they have to be rubbed off and that 's part of the changing process, but you don 't change from an uncut stone into a cut stone when they built solomon 's temple, they used some cut stones, okay, but they weren 't allowed to do that on the temple site. they had to do it in another place. you know the same shadowing types there i 'm not telling you that in your construction methods, no two two by fours can be the same length okay I'm t- This was a principle that God was trying to teach. Now, I've been teaching on Romans 11 at nauseam. I'm sure you're sick of it. You can probably quote it. But we don't support the root. The root supports us, right? If the root is Hebrew, what are the branches? They're every nation that you can think of. What's that sign say up there? It says, For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. All nations. All nations are being grafted into that root. Do they then become look-alike? No. Chinese Christians are going to worship different than American Christians. In Burma, they will worship differently than they do in Africa. In Africa, they will worship differently than they do in Canada. In Canada, they'll worship differently than they do in Australia. And God planned it that way. He wants fruit from every person. He wants everyone bearing what they were called to bear. But it's all different. Something Russ Gautreaux used to have was a tree in his yard, and he had 14 different kinds of fruit grafted into the one root. That tree produced 14 different kinds of fruit. That's like God. We're supposed to produce a unique fruit. When somebody pastors a church, one of the dangers that happens, you see it, you see it and hear it all the time. If one guy has a, a leather satchel, okay, all of a sudden, before long, everybody in the group that goes to meet has a leather satchel, right? If if the pastor wears a certain kind of suit, before long, those who are leaders are wearing those kind of suits. Then those who want to be leaders. Then anybody who's not wearing a suit is showing that they're not really dedicated to the church. One guy likes Greek food. Another guy doesn't. But before long, Greek food spreads to where if somebody doesn't like it, man, are they really with us? You know, we have this way. Yeah, is that not ridiculous? Pretty foolish, and yet that was a conversation that occurred between me and Preston Coles, and I was the one that was wrong. Boy, is that amazing. I'll stand up here and tell on myself. Wade Sutherland did not like Greek food. He was fairly new in the church. I'm the one that introduced him to the church. I'm the one that he first met. And when Preston was telling me all the great things and how he thought Wade would be a good transition from him and all, he said, you know, I'm not sure... That Wade's got the same spirit we did. Preston, what does that mean? Is that because he doesn't like to go eat Greek food with it? He doesn't like espresso? What is it? What does that mean? He doesn't have the same spirit? And I realized how wrong I was. And it wasn't literally about Greek food. It was that he was an uncut stone. He was unique. He didn't look like me. He didn't act like buzz. He didn't act like other leaders in the church. He was different, and God wanted it that way. We need to quit trying to conform. We need to quit lifting up men as the only possible way. There's one guy who is the way. Everybody else is supposed to be following him. And they don't cease to be who they are. They just follow that way. said, so, well, Paul said imitate me while I imitate Christ. You imitate the things about Paul that are like Christ. If you try to be somebody else, in a way they're becoming an idol to you. Nobody intends for that. No man of God wants to be an idol to his flock, for instance. But as they start to esteem them and start to imitate not just the way they follow Jesus, but their life, if you're not careful, that can happen. If I were a carpenter, I naturally would want to teach you things about carpentry. But if all of you started leaving your careers because you thought carpentry was the only really godly thing that you could do, something would be wrong. God didn't call us all to be carpenters or any other thing, salesmen, whatever it may be. We need to keep some of our uniqueness. We need to be distinctive in the body. We need to realize that not everything about the way you are is sin. So you're a little quieter than me. That doesn't mean that you have to be a loudmouth mouth like me. Does it mean that we might learn something from each other? Yeah, I need to learn to shut up and you need to learn to speak up. But it doesn't mean that everything about you is wrong. We can get so defeated by measuring ourselves against other people that we forget it's God that called us and not other men. In Genesis 11, we see an example of dress stones. This is not going to be a long message tonight. I mean, I hope you guys don't need me to preach an hour for you to understand the point. I hope so. You know what? I'm finding out in this walk, and I've known it for a while, but I'm I'm beginning to see it as the norm where I used to think it was the exception. When God tells you to do something beyond just, you know, clean the toy that's in the church, which is awesome, that is awesome. That's something that is a service unto God that nobody would argue with. But when He calls you to break new ground, all of a sudden you find yourself without any support. And that's by design. It's because He doesn't want you to break new ground by following an old pattern. God's a very original architect. Each one of you are different from the others. The works that you have will not be like other works. They won't. He has got something unique for you. And you know what? Here's the real kicker it's not for you, it's for him. Because you could look and say, you know, I really like the way that church is modeled. They have a gymnasium, they have a commons hall, they have these things. That really looks like administratively that runs with, that's what I would like to do. That may not be what he wants. He's already got one of those. You know? <laughs> God doesn't need a hundred of the same kind of something any more than you do. If you go buy suits, do you go buy ten of the same kind of suits, same color, same everything? Of course not. Why not? It's not pleasing to you. You might buy the same model. You know, I buy the same kind of dress slacks. But I buy all different colors of those kind of dress slacks. God knows what kind of person He wants. He wants the soft-hearted. But he wants you to differ from the people on your left and your right. And that is not wrong. We need to quit looking at distinction as sin. And we need to quit looking at dissent as rebellion. It's not. Paul said it's good that there's differences among you. There has to be. God will show where his approval is. Does that mean that you two right there may have a disagreement between you? You may not. Let's see. You think it's time to buy a jet ski. You don't think it's time to buy a jet ski. You could take Paul's scripture to say, oh, it's good that that difference occurs. God will show where his approval lies. Oh, well, later they buy a jet ski and it seems to be a blessing. So obviously, David was the one with God's approval. You know what? That's not even what that means. God's approval may be on both of them. He's speaking of in that situation, God will show which course you're supposed to take. Does that make sense? It doesn't mean that because Matt thinks we should do one thing and I think we should do another and God seems to bless one, that all of a sudden the other person is outside of the camp. See, we think that because we heard from God, everybody has to hear that same thing. And if they don't, they're somehow sinful. They're wrong. They're just not with it. They're back so no, we should worry about them. Why? Why, is God not big enough to have us all doing slightly different things? Is He not an organized enough general to not need us to order each other? When He tore that veil and He gave us access to Him, is that not enough to keep us from having to go through a long line of leaders to get to Him? I know that the church in Antioch was written to by the church in Jerusalem. I put a lot of study into that recently. The reason that they were written to is because people came from Antioch or from Jerusalem to Antioch and troubled them. So they wrote the letter to solve that problem. God never intended for one church to be the pinnacle of Christianity or of Judaism and the followers of the way for all of the others to go back to for their guidepost Sunday school lesson. Never intended it. And you know what? He doesn't intend for me to be the only means that you can hear from God. In fact, if you don't hear from God for your life better than I hear from God for your life, you're in poor shape. Because who do you think God would speak to first? The guy responsible for the actions or the one who's responsible for helping you grow? If you're supposed to have a child, I bet God speaks to you about that before He does me. And if He's speaking to me about it first, it's because you're not listening. And I'm supposed to encourage you. I think God may be speaking this. Tune in. See what you can. It's not a papal authority. It is not God speaks to me and me only, and if you hear something different than me, you're in sin. That's wrong. That's creating robots. That's dressed stone. And it can't be that way. In fact, there are times when we probably will ardently disagree and all i'm asking and i've been teaching this for a while is that if i take a stand and it's on the other side of the coin from you that you seriously consider what you're doing because you would think that god would bring about some kind of unity and given that i understand this if i'm taking a stand against it it's because i sincerely believe you're wrong now you're ultimately the one responsible for it so You're the one responsible for it. I'm just here to guide you along the way. That's what Matt's purpose is, too. In Genesis 11, we see what happens when men begin to take stones and make them uniform. This was different than what God said to do, and there's a different result. Genesis 11, verse 1. Now, the whole world. I'm sorry, I I can't get off this. You remember the vision of the big combine? that was mowing down the wheat and there were as many crippled as were going in and the pastor ran along behind it and he picked up one and it was a little broken Christian, the wheat was. And God said, hey, I'm not like this machine. This is not how I harvest. And this greatly influenced the church that we came out of that taught every guy has a unique sickle that only they can swing. Godly, godly concept. It's all totally right. You know what the big combine is? The big combine is when I begin to tell everybody out there that my way is the right way. And each one of you need to be like me and the other churches need to be like me because it's successful. And look at this. You want to have a successful church? Do what I do. And don't we see it going on all around us? It's what the mega churches have done. And that is the combine. Does it do some good? Yes. Does it cripple a bunch? Yes. You know how you keep from crippling people? You be who God called you to be and to hell with the consequences. You need to have a faith that leaves nothing for the trip home. I'll dig a hole in the roof because that's what God said to do, even if I look like a fool. I know that it's wrong for me, unclean for me to be out in the streets trying to get to the master, but I'm doing it anyway. I know that half of what I've done in this very room looks foolish. I know that it does. I feel foolish. Sunday when I walked in here and there was just a handful of people, I felt like an idiot. Now, after we worshiped, I felt much better. And that does not mean that it was not God. And if we continue like this... for, And I'm not fighting for my pride. Trust me, there's none here. At least, I hope there's not. It's dying if there is. I'm not fighting to be right. Well, I heard from God and nobody else did. What I'm saying is that Success is not in the, the product. Success is in your obedience, and it will eventually produce what God wants. If you plant the seed, you may never see it break the soil. You may never see and you're not guaranteed that God does not owe you that. He said, "One plants, one waters. God gets the increase." And the truth is, when we plant, we expect to see the increase. When we water, we want to take credit for the planting, too. You know, I remember Gary Williams got spirit-filled. And man, it was exciting. To me, it was just like he was born again. And I'm sorry, I'm just that way. When your life changes is when I say you're born again. Now, in reality, Gary was born again before that. And when he began to tell people he was spirit-filled, there was a relative who loves the Lord, who's awesome. I mean, somebody I respect who was mad. And I, I when he looked at me, he was cutting his eyes. And I couldn't figure out why. Then I began to hear the testimonies. He had prayed for Gary to get filled with the Holy Ghost. He had spent years of his life working that soil. And here I was, somebody that came along and watered it and happened to see the increase. When you work, you're not guaranteed to see the result of your labor. Your job is to be who God called you to be. To be obedient, whether you see anything or not. And then, God will honor it. And you might not see it in your life. You know, whoever tithed that bowl of rice to Joe may never have had any idea the impact it had on his life. The Christian that prayed for the bicycle and told him the testimony may never have had it. Here recently, I, in the last two days, and I, I just say it and get it out there, my Father is showing real signs of coming into the kingdom. I, I mean, wrote me beautiful things. Things that I, I've never heard him say, allude to, I wasn't sure that was even in him. And he, he wrote it, and he's now he's not there. I and mean, he's saying, I'm not born again yet, Eric. He said that. He said, but I want to know what God requires of me, and I don't know how to find out. He said, I'm beginning to feel like I owe him a debt because I'm alive, and I probably shouldn't be, and I, I, what does he require of me, and how do I find out? Now, you know what? I can't think of one person. Maybe one. I can't think of very many people that supported him moving in my house. I was told it was bad for my children. I was told that it, it was a mistake. My family needed to do all kinds of things. There was a specific Christmas where I forsook everybody in the Christian kingdom to stay with him. And I was told that I sold them out for an unbeliever. And how wrong I was because of that. In fact, I have two relatives that didn't speak to me for more than 60 days because of it. And you know what? It probably looked like they were right. Bobby didn't get saved while I was there. His life didn't change. And here we are. That was in the year 2000. Here we are in 2004. And are those seeds starting to bear fruit? Yes. Should I run right away and go tell everybody that said I was wrong? No. What difference does it make? The difference is when you're obedient, you receive the blessing of the king. That's the idea. And I'm telling you, I don't I think everybody thought I was crazy. Except my wife. Thank God for women of faith. Thank God for that. Go in Genesis eleven. Says now the whole world had one language and a common speech. You want a neat Bible study sometime? Look at the times that the whole world spoke one language. It's a dramatic event always. Alexander the Greek, this, and then maybe one coming up in the future. Whole world speaking one language. Whenever man unifies, they get what they want. And it's usually an Antichrist type figure. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone. And tar for mortar Then they said come let us build ourselves A city with a tower that reaches To the heavens so that we may Make a name for ourselves and not be scattered Over the whole face of the earth This is in direct disobedience To everything that God has told them God told them number one When you build altars And of course he told them this (laughs) In Exodus which is after this event But the knowledge was in the earth They had been building altars since the very beginning One right outside of Edom Eden, not Edom. When you build altars, use uncut stones. These guys are using bricks. He told them, go scatter all over the earth. They are wanting to stay in one spot on the earth. An organized rebellion against God. When you build with bricks, what you have is something that shows the strength of your own arm. If I begin to teach people to be like me, if I try to mold and attract and market for certain kinds of people in here, we're looking for a demographic of people 30 to 60 years old in an income range of 50 to $100,000 with 1.2 kids, a suburban, and two soccer-playing children. If that's what we're looking for, if, if we go get an almanac to begin a church that, in an area that has that many people, all we would succeed in building is a wall of bricks that God hates. If we use tar, something of the earth, to stick it together, trying to have an adhesive that is strong, that can't break, all we will succeed in doing is offending God. But if what we do is look for one life at a time, one unique stone out there somewhere in Texas that God wants to affect, we say that one stone that will fit in this wall, not because it's shaped like us because it's not shaped like us and it's shaped by God. If we find the one life at a time and we begin to see it change and it shaped and it molded to be what God wants it to be to honor the creator, then we're a success regardless of what men think, regardless of what it looks like. That's my heart. That's what I'm after and I'm telling you it takes a faith that leaves nothing for the trip home. Nothing in reserve, nothing that says, "What if I fail?" Nothing that says, but what if it doesn't work? We need to get that totally out of our head. And you know what? When you're dead to self, and I'm not quite there yet, I'm trying, I'm working on it. When you're dead to self, it doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter if you fail. After all, it's God, it's God's reputation on the line, not yours. If, if people have the idea that Eric and Matthew came here so that they could build a church, then we've misled you. We came here because we believe God wants to build a church. It's not our reputation on the line. It's His. In Ezekiel 36, He says, I will gather you from the nations, not because you're more special to Me than other people, but for My name's sake. I will do it for Me, God says. He's the only being in the universe that is allowed to be selfish and self-centered. Because with Him, it's not selfish to be self-centered. He's the ultimate. He's not doing it for us, I've seen firsthand being from Baton Rouge, Louisiana and driving down Blue Bonnet on a regular basis, what happens when men put their names on the signs? And it starts off with good intentions. Well, everybody knows me. There's so many churches with similar names. My name needs to be on that sign so people will know this is the church that I'm pastoring so they will come. God always knocks them down. And if He doesn't knock them down outwardly for everybody to see... It's probably because he doesn't love them as much. Uh, if you hadn't guessed, of course, I'm speaking about Jimmy Swaggart. I think God loves the man so much that he knocked him down so that he could be somebody. And if there are other people that are in those same situations with their name on the building, building something out of cut stones, and they haven't been knocked down, they probably just don't love Jesus as much as Jimmy Swaggart does. And so he's left let their whitewashed wall fall on them one day, but not today. I don't want that. I don't want to build something that shows my name's great, that shows Matthew's name's great, or anybody else. I won't be a part of anything that does. And there will never be a time that somebody will tell me, if you want thus and so, you have to honor me. It will not happen. Period. Never. Because I believe that God is after the honor for Himself. My goal in telling you all this, in preaching this, I don't have any animosity any bad feelings towards anybody there are times i feel like a failure and i'm sure there are times you do too there are times i am beat down and i see nothing happening around me i think of all the times i've compromised at work and all the times i should have done better than i did and i begin to feel like what's the use and then something begins to rise up inside of me it says i called you it's my job to perform your calling, not your job. It's your job to be obedient. And half the time when I think that I've blown it, God never told me to do what I thought I blew anyway. We have these ideas of the ways to be productive in the kingdom. My wife told me right away when she read the email from my father. I said, oh, you're going to call him? What are you going to say? Are you going to go over this? Or are you going to go over that? I said, Jennifer, I'm scared to death that I will get in God's way. No, I'm not going to. Now, I've received almost 11 years of biblical training. And I love the Lord at least as much as you guys in this room. I've studied the Word at least as much as y'all. Okay, I mean, grant me that. There are some natural capabilities there. But all of my learning has taught me I'm scared to death I might get in God's way. I can't speak to my Father about that until God tells me to speak to Him. Because if I do... I might foul it up. But if I allow God to direct it, and then I go forth with a reckless abandonment, not caring about the consequences, then God will honor it. That's what we want. It's okay that you're different than everybody you come into contact with, and it's okay that you don't fit into a mold that looks like me, or Matt, or David, or Jennifer, or Mandy, or anybody else. God wants it that way. I want it that way. I'm encouraging you to find security and who called you, not in you. I'm encouraging you to find fulfillment, encouragement, self-esteem in the Word and in the fact that you were obedient, not in the result. You can prophesy in tongues and be totally obedient and it have a horrible result because whoever's on the other side of the room that God said to speak Also, they gave the word of interpretation, didn't spit it out. Does that mean that you failed? Of course not. If you judge yourself by that result, you'll never prophesy again. You need to learn to measure your life in two categories, obedient and disobedient. When you quit looking at results, it will free you. You won't worry about whether your bank account's being depleted. You won't worry about whether your house has sold. You won't worry about what your next job will be. You will simply worry about, was I obedient or was I not obedient? Because that's what God requires. And Micah says it. What does God require of you, old man? Walk humbly, act justly, love the God, love God, and show mercy. Did I get that wrong, Matt? Act act humbly, love mercy. Y'all look it up. (laughs) Those three things. He basically desires love, mercy, and obedience. Humility, of course. Once we do that, you'll begin to feel powerful because you were obedient. If God says, hey, I want you to do thus and so, and you do it, and you don't see anything right away, it doesn't mean God failed, and it doesn't mean you failed. It just means you didn't see what you thought you would right away. You can read the New Testament, and I challenge you to do this, If you don't get the impression that Paul and the other apostles thought Jesus was coming back before 2,000 years, then I I don't know what book you're reading. Everything points to the first generation. And I'm not saying they were wrong. They didn't say he would be back in the first generation. But you can tell from the inference of their writings, they believed that. They were obedient to what God told them to do. The fact that he didn't come back in their lifetime didn't mean that they were wrong. Does that that make sense? That's an obscure uh, example, but I think you get where I'm coming from. We probably won't ever be able to share this CD with anybody else, but this is exactly what was on my heart tonight. If you think about it, pray for everybody in the room. Also pray for me. I'm going to be in Lafayette uh, Friday night and Saturday. Uh, We will have a Father's Day message here. I don't know what it will be on, and frankly I'm not sure who will be here. But God's called us to be here So we will be, and we'll rejoice in the fact that we are obedient. When he tells us to speak, we'll rejoice in the fact that we're obedient. When he tells us to shut up, we'll rejoice in the fact that we're obedient. And beyond that, I'm not going to have any expectations. I expect fully that all of you are obedient to the Lord. I expect that of myself. The results are up to him. In the name of Jesus, let's stand up and pray.